0: As residents know all too well, the Washington Metro region consistently ranks as having some of the worst traffic congestion in the nation. It's frustrating and time consuming, plus all that car and truck exhaust aggravates climate change. So the area's elected officials and other leaders naturally are looking to rely more on public transit as they plan for the future. That means expanding and improving service on Metro Rail, bus lines, and commuter rail. The challenge is that it's expensive both to build and operate transit. Plus, it takes a long time to construct or renovate rail lines, bridges, and tunnels, and to alter roadways to allow for express bus service. To make matters more complicated, some recent safety problems at Metro have damaged the system's reputation, just when it needs public support to deal with financial setbacks caused by the COVID pandemic. But as we've discussed in previous episodes, much of our planning hinges on a robust transportation network serving nearby housing and jobs in vibrant transit-oriented communities. The region is projected to add more than a million people in the next two decades, an increase of more than 20%. Imagine the gridlock on the Beltway, I-95, and other major highways without a significant addition to transit capacity. I spoke to Joe McAndrew, Vice President of Government Affairs and Infrastructure at the Greater Washington Partnership, an organization of CEOs of many of the region's largest employers.
1: We see a very big need to better connect our economic centers with uh, modes other than the vehicle. I think that, you know, this is not all that different than other big uh, regional plans. I think the big items are funding and sustained commitment across political cycles.
0: Welcome to Think Regionally, a monthly podcast by the Metropolitan Washington Council of Governments, or COG. We analyze issues facing the Washington metro region with an emphasis on finding solutions. I'm your host, Robert McCartney. This episode on public transit is the second in the three-part series examining the future of the region as it recovers from the pandemic. The first episode looked at how the increase in telework was affecting where people choose to live and where employers locate jobs. The third one will examine prospects for the economy. We'll get to all that's going on with Metro later in the podcast, but let's start by talking about some developments in two other important modes of transit, commuter rail and express buses. Right now, our commuter rail network is in the early stage of a far reaching renovation project which is expected to dramatically improve service between Richmond and Baltimore in coming decades. Nearly $4 billion has been approved to add tracks in Northern Virginia, plus build a new rail bridge alongside the 118-year-old Long Bridge across the Potomac between Arlington and the District. There are also plans to replace the B&P Tunnel in Baltimore, which dates to the Civil War and is one of the worst bottlenecks on the East Coast. Here's McAndrew
1: again. The challenge is that our our regional rail network is one that we're still using the the system that was largely built and invested in by our great-great-grandparents 100 years ago. It's outdated. It doesn't yet um, provide the service or the frequencies that match the demands and the, the travel patterns that our our residents uh, need, uh, or that our employers are looking for. And that's a huge important opportunity for us if we can go ahead and make the critical investments over the coming years to unlock the opportunity. We think that we're gonna be uh, more competitive as a region. So if the vision is achieved,
0: tell us sort of in summary, what would the commuter rail network
1: look like, say 20 years from now, as opposed to how it looks today? Yeah. I mean, I think that we're in the next 10 years, we're going to see hourly train service between Richmond and the District of Columbia. Um, That's a game changer. I-95 is challenged. and, And unfortunately, we cannot build our way out of the congestion that we see on that roadway. That's just in the next 10 years of what we can do. But within the next 25 years, we think that we can see Uh, Train travel greatly expand between Baltimore and the District of Columbia, open up new opportunities for uh, economic development at stations like Odenton, which sits less than two miles away from uh, Maryland's largest employment center at Fort Meade, and stimulate the uh, growth that we will see at at, uh, thriving, emerging economic centers such as uh, New Carrollton and Prince George's or National Landing in Northern Virginia.
0: The region also is planning to renovate the district's Union Station, the hub for rail travel in the region. A major improvement under consideration, which has been studied by the Transportation Planning Board at COG, is to allow for commuter trains operated by Virginia Railway Express, or VRE, and Maryland's MARC system to pass through the station rather than always terminate there.
1: If we were to build a a commuter railroad for the Washington metro area today, you probably wouldn't stop trains at Washington Union Station like MARC and VRE do. So if you're a Northern Virginia resident and trying to get to a job at New Carrollton, you have to transfer. But the train tracks actually connect between the two, but due to ownership and operating structures, we don't yet run a train for a one seat ride for a person to get from Maryland to Virginia through the District of Columbia or vice versa.
0: An expansion of service along Mark's Brunswick line, which runs from Union Station through Silver Spring and Germantown, also would help relieve congestion in the I-270 corridor. All of this costs money, of course, but more than usual is available since the federal government approved last year's bipartisan infrastructure package. You said that there's $66 billion for this from the federal government, but we have to compete for it. So what's involved in
1: competing for it? So the life of this bill is a five-year bill. We need to start pushing our projects forward now so that we can ultimately get into the pipeline to compete for dollars and secure the awards and then start construction. You know, this region has a lot of needs. It's going to be competitive. You know, our friends to the north and New York and New Jersey and Connecticut would gladly take all of those funds. So we have our work cut out for us.
0: Now let's talk about buses, the true workhorses of transit. The pandemic highlighted their value as bus ridership dropped only moderately while Metro Rail ridership plunged. That's partly because Metro Rail carries a high proportion of white collar employees, who stopped commuting because they could telework from home. Service workers who have to be present at the work site are more likely to rely on the bus. Kate Matice, Executive Director of the Northern Virginia Transportation Commission, told me that before the pandemic, the number of Metrorail riders in Northern Virginia was nearly three times as high as the total number of riders using Metrobus and the five local bus systems there but that's changed.
2: Bus was the shining star of a transportation alternative during really the height of COVID. It continued to serve people in Northern Virginia, in DC, in our region. When you combine MetroBus and all of our local operators, we are just over Metro Rail ridership in Virginia right now. They really are moving folks really well within our region. And I think there's opportunities abound to make it even better.
0: To accomplish that, Northern Virginia is currently working to build or extend three major lines for Bus Rapid Transit, or BRT. Such service could play a large role in adding transit capacity in coming years, because BRT is much cheaper and faster to construct than new subway or commuter rail lines. In Fairfax, the one BRT will travel up and down Richmond Highway, or Route 1. The Route 7 BRT will connect Tysons with Alexandria. And in Arlington, the Metroway is being extended to Pentagon City. All three take existing heavily traveled bus routes and use various enhancements to make service more rapid, reliable, and user friendly.
2: Where bus rapid transit really works is where you already have a strong local bus network. Um, if, if you think about it, it's really just taking something that is good that needs more. Um, And that's really where bus rapid transit shines. The most success you have is the ability to move those buses, right? So where you can take the opportunity to have dedicated lanes, or you can have what they call signal priority, meaning when a bus comes up to a light, it's going to turn green or it's gonna keep the green longer so that a bus can go through. The other thing that can be offered with these is the ability to buy your fare or pay for your fare, what they call off board, um, so that everybody can just hop right onto the bus um, and all, anything to do with buying a ticket is already done at kiosks at those stations.
0: The principal obstacle to building more BRT lines is the reluctance of drivers to give up one or two lanes needed to create the dedicated paths for the buses. That's particularly challenging in dense commercial areas such as city or town centers.
2: Probably the biggest challenge, and you touched on it earlier, is, is land use. To be able to move these buses, having dedicated lanes, I'll give you a perfect example Uh, our Route 7 BRT is going to be going through Falls Church. The city of Falls Church is a historic area. There is going to be parts of that where there will not be dedicated lanes, and we know that.
0: The other challenge is money, but the infusion of infrastructure dollars is a big help.
2: The federal money does provide a fantastic opportunity, specifically for capital. I think it's important to remember that the federal money, especially for public transit, um, is to buy things. So the transit capital could be anywhere from additional buses to maintenance facilities, to um, even providing some infrastructure for these routes, um, like you know stations and widening roads and things like that.
0: Finally, let's look at the region's third and best known pillar of public transit, the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, better known as WAMATA, or just Metro. Its future depends in large part on how it emerges in coming years from what is arguably its worst crisis since the 2009 red line crash. WAMATA is dealing with two problems. One is a looming financial crunch caused largely by a loss of Metro Rail riders who cut back on commuting when they switched to telework. The other is a loss of public confidence owing to safety problems first with Metro's 7,000 series rail cars, and then to a recent failure to recertify train operators. I interviewed WMATA board chairman, Paul Smedberg.
3: It obviously has been frustrating and and disappointing. I mean, there's no other way to, to put it.
0: Metro's revenue plunged during the pandemic and its budget survived only because of federal relief money. That aid will dry up soon. So the system is facing an operating deficit of several hundred million dollars a year, beginning in the summer of 2023. Smedberg said he expected ridership would eventually recover to a significant extent, partly because of job growth in Northern Virginia. But there's uncertainty about how much telework will continue in federal agencies and other workplaces. The chairman acknowledged that the board and its new general manager, Randy Clark, we'll have to make tough decisions to balance the books. What are the long-term prospects for restoring Metro Rail ridership to pre-pandemic
3: levels? Well, you know, Robert, I'm actually pretty optimistic about that. I think once the region does start to come back and people get into a pattern, we're gonna be able to see how people are using the system and model our service after that in the future. I'm also looking at key employment areas, particularly uh, in the Northern Virginia region and out you know towards 66. And the toll road there, um, and then Tyson's, of course, the one big factor in a lot of this, as you know, Robert, is the federal government. You know, what is it they ultimately decide to do?
0: Yeah, um, Joe McCAndrew, when I talk to him, he's saying that we're looking at an operating deficit of 300 million dollars a year. And the uh, jurisdictions are either going to have to come up with that, or there's going to have to be a cut in service. Do you think it's that it's that dire? That's a, that's a lot of money for the jurisdictions to come up with right now.
3: It's a lot of money. I mean, I think our original projections were actually closer to five, uh, you know, a half a billion. Last brief to the legislators in Richmond, that that was the figure I was given. Um, You know, after this last budget go around, and then some of the numbers that came in uh, from the ridership, we saw that shrink, but you're right 300Million is still a sizable deficit. You know, I think the board is very mindful that, um, you know, we're going to have to do a real, you know, sort of deep dive, you know, with our new general manager here to see, you know, how we manage this, you know, moving forward, because it is, it is definitely going to be, you know, a challenge.
0: The projected red ink in the operating budget is especially worrisome when you consider some recent history. It required a prolonged major effort in the region to procure a historic deal just four years ago to provide Metro with $500 million a year in dedicated capital funding to be used for equipment and renovations. The state and local governments that subsidize Metro will not look kindly on an appeal so soon for more help to pay for operations but increased funding may be the only alternative, given Metro's importance to the region.
3: I think our elected leaders and business leaders certainly understand that Metro is one of the main foundation blocks of this region's economy, and is key to its continued success. You know, we're all gonna have to come together at some point and uh, come up with creative solutions and have some really, probably some really tough uh, you know, conversations.
0: Recalling his past service on the Alexandria City Council, Smedberg suggested that it may be necessary to change the funding structure for WMATA because some county and municipal governments will no longer be able to afford to pay higher subsidies.
3: I was a local elected, as you know, and, uh, you know, on the Virginia side, we have the localities pay a lion's share of that funding. I'm concerned, you know, that that type of funding support, even at capped at 3%, you know, may not be sustainable, you know, know, even for them moving forward. They're paying a sizable amount of money into, you know, transit right now, in addition to their bus systems. That's going to be something I think people are going to be looking at. Looking to the future,
0: one of Metro's top priorities is adding a second rail tunnel under the Potomac next to the one used by the orange, blue, and silver lines between the Rosslyn and Foggy Bottom stations. It's a bottleneck now, leading to delays in the so-called orange
3: crush once you know some of these projects of state of good repair and station renovations come to an end you know we really got to start thinking about you know those bigger projects the infamous orange crush is is definitely you know one of them but it definitely has to be done and it's not just for the virginia side i mean it's for the entire system i think we have a lot of opportunity with our new general manager who is coming in fresh-eyed a lot of energy you know he has a lot of experience And we've already been talking about how are we going to communicate and report to the board and us, you know, collaborating with, you know, with management, I think in a different way that is that has probably happened in the past.
0: Now I'll share some of my own thoughts about the topic. Expanding public transit is expensive and disruptive, but it's the only realistic way for the region to simultaneously accomplish three goals accommodate a growing population, avoid crippling highway gridlock, and reduce pollution. The good news is that progress is underway to improve service in the long term in both commuter rail and bus rapid transit. Between Richmond and the district, the region has taken some major first steps to add tracks and a bridge to provide a rail alternative for drivers stuck on I-95. To complete the vision, it will have to renovate Union Station, replace the Baltimore Tunnel, and speed service between the District and Baltimore. The Region also is working to lure more drivers to use buses by introducing BRT lines to reduce travel times and enhance the rider experience. Adding BRT is usually the cheapest and quickest way to improve transit options, so we should see more of that throughout the Region. The Region's biggest transit challenge right now is unquestionably the cloud hanging over Wamata the core of the region's overall transit network. Area leaders have tough work ahead of them to ensure the system's financial stability while demanding safety and management improvements. Ultimately, the region must ensure not only that WMATA overcomes its current challenges, but is in a position to expand in coming decades to better serve our region. This includes tackling critical long-term issues like a second Potomac Tunnel, as well as envisioning service along the Wilson Bridge and into new parts of our growing region. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We welcome your feedback. Please email comments to thinkregionally, one word, at mwcog.org. This podcast is produced by Janelle Partman and Steve Cania. Until next month, this is your host, Robert McCartney, urging everyone to think regionally.